The question stopped me dead in my tracks. A woman I knew queried, do you believe that there are different levels of punishment in hell? Now there's a question. Uh, I told her that I believe that scripture teaches that that is, that God doesn't judge everyone with the same amount of severity. She turned to me then and said this, if that's the case, I'll burn in the hottest part of hell. Man, I couldn't believe that. Here's a woman who would not consider herself really to be a Christian, as we would understand it. Um, and she believes in the existence of God, and she believes there's an afterlife. And she dropped that question on me. A, rel a relative of mine was sharing with uh, a brother of his, and uh, they were talking about God and faith and those kind of issues and eternity. And, and what was interesting was this. On the topic of heaven, he shared with his brother, I'm not really interested at all in heaven. Uh, I prefer to go to hell to, because that's where my friends will be. Wow. That's heavy. That's heavy stuff. Uh, two people who would not confess to following Christ or knowing believe that there is a God and something in them believes that there is an afterlife for good or for worse. Uh, a survey done by Baylor University in the States discovered that 82% of Americans believed that uh, there's a heaven and 73% believed in hell. However, there's, in some of these things, there's so much misinformation uh, and uh, there's so much corruption of the ideas and notion of heaven and hell. And so we're starting into a series of messages where we want to probe some of these, some of these issues. I find it quite interesting that, that in today's everyday life, heaven and hell find their way into our common parlance. Good heavens, for heaven's sake, oh, it was heavenly. Uh, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. We use the expression of heaven in that way, but hell gets its fair share to perhaps even more. It was hell. What is that? It was terrible. It was hell. Um, how about this one? We had a hell of a time. Now that goes one of two ways. We had a great time. Somehow hell is a good time. Or it was a terrible time. Um, and and uh, we, we see people uh, uh, using an expression like rot in hell. Here, here's a family of somebody who, who has lost somebody by homicide, a family member. And they see the, the uh, perpetrator of this being hauled out of the courtroom after, uh, after being uh, charged with that and convicted of it. And the family says, rot in hell. They, they go to hell uh, expressing the, what they wanted uh, for a sense of justice in what had happened. Well, we may uh, hear about heaven. Uh, we have funerals and we, we talk about the glory of of heaven and what it would be for God's people to go to be there in this wonderful time of afterlife. And, and it's good to talk about that. Sadly, we very, very seldom ever talk about hell. 
In fact, I got to confess to you, I have not preached on hell for quite a number of years. And for some of you, you could say, well, we're glad that you didn't do that. We don't want to hear much about it either. But it's interesting. The Apostle Paul was gathering together with the Ephesian elders. He wasn't going to see them again, and he asked them to meet at a point, and they would have uh, some time together. And as he addressed them before he left in his farewell address, he said this to them in Acts 20, 27. He said, I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the, the, uh, the whole will of God. I didn't hold back from you. I told you everything. I, I opened my heart to you. And uh, that is the responsibility of a servant of God, of a pastor, of a preacher, not to hold back, not to say, I, I like this or that kind of thing, and so I'll talk about that, but I, I find this other difficult. He says, no, we, we, our ministry has integrity, and we don't shrink back. And sometimes that can be really difficult, too. Sometimes that's tough, uh, because we can ruffle feather, feathers. We can tell people things they don't want to hear. Uh, we can have uh, people... Uh, getting upset with us because they don't like the topic or, or what we're teaching from the Word of God. And there's this temptation on the part of us as preachers to mm, kind of soft-pedal it a little bit, try and, try and make it a little more palatable, to make it a little more agreeable, and it's hard to do that when we, when we go and look at a, a, a topic as tough as that. But that's not our calling. Um, after dealing with uh, the, the church, the, the writer of Hebrews said to them, I'm really upset with you guys uh, in, in chapter 6 of Hebrews. He, he said this, you should be teachers now. You should be mature, but you're baby Christians. You, you haven't grown at all. And, and then he said among them, he said, I've got to teach you the ABCs of the faith all over again. And one of those ABCs that he needed to remind them of included eternal judgment so here it is um, we as uh, uh, we as pastors are called to give the whole counsel of God and so we're going to talk over the next few weeks about heaven and hell and uh, what they mean and what that's all about and uh, I, I know that some people don't find this uh, uh, something that they really want to delve into. It's about as welcome as a skunk at a garden party. And it may be at odds with God in, in his, the sense uh, of, uh, of his pictures, this loving God. After all, God is love. And yet we see this that may challenge us to say it's an inconsistent message uh, about this kind, benevolent God and then the horrors of hell. Uh, and it can put Christians on the defensive. Uh, some see it as, as hell is outmoded, outdated, something that people years ago would do to, uh, to, to scare somebody into the faith or something like that. In fact, one of the most famous sermons preached in all of the United, history of the United States was a, a message in the mid-1700s by Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And so uh, we prefer the gentle Jesus to the wrathful God, except when you look at the Bible, you'll find that Jesus said more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. 
heaven and hell. So what are we talking about when we talk about heaven and hell? We're talking about God's judgment on people on the basis of how they've lived their life in, with, with reference to what God expects of them. And it, it's talking about their eternal destiny. If they lived a good life and followed the ways of God, they would go and have eternal life with him in heaven. Um, if they didn't, if they refused and rebelled and, and had no place for God in their life, uh, they would be consigned to an eternity in hell. Well, and I think that the question comes, why, why do we need a heaven and a hell? What's, what's the, the, the importance of that? Well, uh, it's interesting uh, this past year, we were all kind of mortified when we saw George Floyd uh, being handcuffed, put on the, the ground, on the pavement. Uh, when we see an officer who's got his knee on the neck of this man, and this man is calling for, for mercy, he says, I can't believe, I can't, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And we watched that for eight minutes and 45 seconds, and it was over. George was dead. And it was all caught on video. And people were absolutely incensed at the meaninglessness of it all, the wanton disregard for life. It was a clarion call for sounding around the world that people would, would protest this kind of in gross injustice. And we've seen how things like that happen. Tragedy continues. In January the 6th, we just saw in Washington, D.C., the, the rebels and, and the rioters and, and people being killed. And it's not just that. It's all around the world. History is riddled with the most heinous of crimes against humanity. And, and, is, and that's a challenge. Is there a justice? Is there a retribution for all of this kind of thing? Well, while we talk about society and academia and how they look at some of these things, uh, they, they look at the academic culture that espouses a kind of moral relativism, that there are no moral absolutes, that you are the architect of your own right and wrong. You determine what's right and you determine what's wrong. And, and uh, a student who was do giving an address at the Harvard, at, uh, Harvard uh, University at the com commencement uh, uh, celebration uh, said this, the freedom of our day is the freedom to devote ourselves to any values we please on the mere condition that we believe them to be true. And so people struggle. They said, I, I can tell you what's right for me and you what's right for you. And uh, there is there's no objective morality that we're all called to come to. And, and it's funny that you can do these kinds of things in, uh, in, a, in a way that are, uh, seem to make sense academically, but just don't work in a practical sense at all. There is an objective morality. Sadly, today it kind of mirrors what, what happened in the Bible in the days of the judges, when uh, the sad epithet was written over it. Everyone did what he or she saw fit. That's what it was. It was, it was gone wild. Everybody did their own thing. 
And God has determined right and wrong. God calls us to live according to his standards. And when we see the terrible atrocities perpetrated on others, it angers God. He is a God who will deal with those who harm others and offend his morals. Is there uh, justice for the millions of Jews who were slaughtered by Hitler? Is there no recompense for families whose young girls have been stolen away and sold into uh, slavery and uh, are sexually violated and trafficked and murdered? Is there a place for dictators with their thirst for power, with their arrogance, who abuse and murder and oppress? Is, does God sit passively by and, and say, well, you know, everything is okay. Everybody, you do what you want. God has right and wrong. And he, as, uh, as, as God has the authority to do that. Um, now, we need to understand that God is a judge. And, and he is a God who judges uh, on the basis of what we've done. And God is uh, referenced as a judge over and over in the Bible. Uh, but when, we've, when we look to say, who is that judge after all? We find out that he, God the Father who judges actually can, gives the role of the actual judicial process to Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, verse 5 and 10. Uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive what is due him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. Do you, do, do you see what it's called? The judgment seat of Christ. Christ is judge. And, uh, and uh, so uh, we, we go to Jesus' words in John chapter 5. Listen to what it says there. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he's given him authority to judge because he is Son of Man. Hey, listen, let me, let me say something here. Jesus has authority to judge on the basis of what he has done, but also because he's the Son of Man. He's human. <laughs> That's good news and it's bad news. It, it is that he understands everything that we go through. He understands what we do. Um, he understands the temptation that we endure and all of those kind of things because he's the son of man. But also it's a little daunting because he lived an absolutely perfect life as a human being and as a model for us. And in uh, what Brandy was reading, Romans 2 and verse 16, it said, This will take place on the day uh, when God's, God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. It's part of the gospel that Jesus will be the one who will uh, judge us. Well, the judgment of God, what is it like? What, for God to be judged. And I want to give you a picture now of what it is to be, uh, to come under the judgeship of Jesus. So I'm going to go through a few things uh, on the judgment of God. Uh, the first one is this. Um, God sees through self-righteous, judgmental hypocrisy. 
God sees through self-righteous, judgmental hypocrisy. It says in Romans uh, 2, 1 to 3, You therefore have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else, for at what point you judge the other person, you're con condemning yourself. Because you pass the judgment uh, to the, do, you do the same things. So when you, a mere man, a mere woman, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Um, here, here he says this. There's no excuse for people who are judgmental toward others to make themselves look good. Um, there's, a certain, um, there's a certain arrogance that we can have about ourselves. Um, when, when we, we look for someone else that we can compare ourselves with who's not as good as we are, who's not as godly as we are, who's not as kind as we are, and we, and we think, you know, I'm, I'm a, 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 a good person. I look at me beside this person, and I judge that person, and we think we can get away with that. I, I can be absolutely indignant. I'm driving my car. And someone pulls in in front of me quickly. And, and um, <laughs> I, I think, I see that happen. I, I think, I, I wish the cops would see what this guy is doing. And I get all indignant. Now, if I do it, it's not a bad, you know, I mean, I'm a good guy. I don't normally do this. And it just happened. But, but in, in this case, we had a, we have a member of our family. And... Uh, <laughs> I'll try and protect the guilty or the innocent. <laughs> uh, but uh, we have a member of our family, and, and that individual has a real bugaboo about people who don't stop at stop signs or, or at red, red lights. You know, if they're in the, red, the right lane, they go right through. And this just frosts this individual who shall remain unidentified. And uh, the, funny thing, the funny thing was that this person uh, actually inadvertently, let's say inadvertently, kind of did a similar thing. And there was a police car that observed it. And as this person drove and saw the, the red flashing lights, thought, oh no, <laughs> what, what now? And so the police pulled this person over and said, did you know that you went through a stop sign? And the person said, did I? And at which point the officer said, well, I have it on video. Would you like to see it? And the family member said, no, that's fine. <laughs> Indignant about other people, but when it comes to us, you know, we deserve a pass. And God says, you know, that you can't do that. The Bible exposes the ills of being judgmental, and the worst ones for being judgmental were the religious leaders. Crazy thing that it should be. And God says, I don't go for that stuff. Um, and, and so, God sees through this, our self righteousness and our judgmental hypocrisy. And we need to understand how he looks at us and how he judges. Well, secondly, God judges by the truth. 
God judges by the truth. Um, it says in Romans 2, 2, now we know that God is, God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. When God judges, when he judges, he, he, his judgment is based on truth. It's interesting, I find in, in a court of law, you're, you're called up, uh, you're sworn in, you put your hand on the Bible, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God with your hand on the Bible, which you can't have in school anymore, and no, but we still have it in, 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 in a court. And, and um, you say, yes, I do, I do. I swear to tell the truth. Um, and you know, it's, it's funny because people, you put them on the stand and they lie, lie, lie. And, 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 and God says that when he judges, he judges according to the truth. Um, God hates lying. God hates false witnesses uh, in, in court. In fact, the, the Ten Commandments is, uh, picks up on this too people who would be a false witness, who would lie under oath. Um, he wants accuracy. He wants genuineness. He wants reliability. He wants truth. And it's interesting because our legal system um, convicts a person on the basis of reasonable doubt. And sometimes we make mistakes. And it can be we make mistakes uh, a lot of time. And... and um, God hates that. How often do people take an oath and deliberately lie? David Milgard was 16 years of age. He was a boy in Saskatchewan in 1969. And he became, about a year after there was a rape and a murder of nurse Gail Miller, uh, somehow they connected him as a possible suspect. So this is like a year after this person has died. She was, a, she was a nurse. She was going to work. She was raped and murdered. And uh, David Milgard uh, was found guilty of this. And he claimed that he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. And uh, they would not uh, in any way give him uh, any kind of of uh, retrial or anything. He spent year after year after year, 23 years in prison. And they found afterwards uh, that there was a serial rapist that had been, uh, actually had lived in the same apartment as Milgard. And he had been, uh, they finally caught up that this guy was a potential suspect and they were able to put it on him. 23 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Do you know how frustrating that is? I didn't do it. I didn't. I promise I didn't do it. And his mother, as a kid, trying to come alongside. Do you know with God, it's never that way. We, a number of years ago, I, I promised, <laughs> this was a stupid thing, maybe. I, I promised my kids and, and my oldest son, you get your grade seven piano and I'll get cable. And he did it. And I got cable. And uh, one of the things that I saw on cable that just had me mesmerized was the O.J. Simpson trial. 
I mean, I, I, would, I lived a half a block from the church. I would come home from lunch. I would grab something to eat, turn on the TV to see what was happening, finish my lunch and go back to work. And, and the question always was, did we, did we get the truth? Did we get it right? Did I get off on a, on, on a, uh, a misstep by somebody somewhere? And, we, and we, what we want is justice. If the people would be, who, who would be uh, culpable would be found guilty. And, and um, that, that always, that question was lingering in me. Listen to what it says in Revelation 20, uh, verses 11 to 13. Then I, this, is, this is at the final judgment. Uh, and, and here's what uh, Holy Scripture tells us. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the, light, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in them. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Isn't it interesting? When, when, you, know, when you can, can get off track so easily and, and here we find out that God has a book. And he's got everything you have ever done. He's even got your, your thoughts. He, he's even got your words, ca care, careless words. And, and when you stand before him, you need to understand that it will be according to truth. And, and he will speak truth. And you want the evidence? Uh, do you want to replay the video and see? And, and, and so... Uh, we find this, God's judgment is always 100% true and reliable, and you don't get off because of a technicality or because somebody messed up something in the crime scene. It's always 100% foolproof. Well, well next, um, God is kind and patient in judgment. By rights, God should scorch us for we are wicked before him and his standard. And yet here's what it says in Romans 2.4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Mmm. Do you realize that this God who, who, who is, is judging you is at the same time a God who is kind tolerant and patient. And don't you realize that his goodness that he pours out on you, though you have no regard for him, it's because he wants you to turn from your wicked way and repent and come to him. And, and part of the beautiful character of God is that lenience and patience that he has, that care, that opportunity to provide forgiveness for us and to have a new start. And to invite us into his family. And he, says, he said, you know, don't you know that God is that way? Because he wants to bring you to himself. What a beautiful thing. Well, well next, we find out that God's judgment is right and just. It's 
His judgment is right and just. In, uh, in chapter 2 and verses, uh, verse 5, he says this. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you were storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Righteous judgment. Everyone will get what, what they deserve because he, he will um, he'll, uh, look at what they've done and it's according to their works and, and what they have done in that way. You will be judged fairly and righteously based on what you have done with your life, with your lifestyle, with your deeds. And, and you'll either go and, and you'll seek glory and, um, and honor, or you'll be selfish and reject the truth and follow evil ways. And God wants you to know him. He, and and uh, we'll, we'll be chasing down some of these themes as we go through the series, but he's looking at our life. And, and he's judging it on the basis of right, uh, how righteous we are and, and how, how we are uh, relating to him and relating to other people. And we will be fairly judged on the basis of that. Well, I want you to see next that God's judgment is impartial. It's impartial. Look at chapter 2 and verse 11. It says this, For God does not show favoritism. We live in a system that is rigged. We live in a system that uh, uh, gives people a leg up over here, over other people who don't get the same leg up. When David, uh, when David Milgard, his friend was paid $2,000 as a witness to claim that Milgard did it. You know, how, and, and if you've been in third world countries, and we, you don't have to be in third world countries. We, we've got stuff going on in our own country where people uh, get money under the table, whether they, where they get favors, where they, where they uh, get things that bring you on side so we can do business together and all of that kind of thing. Uh, governments and institutions and, and uh, businesses all understand that sometimes that's just how you have to do it. I know in some of the travel I've done overseas that there are places where there's corruption in the police. There's corruption in government. And sometimes you just have to uh, chew, you know, chew down and, and pay a bit of a bribe to get where you need to go or something like that. Uh, O.J. Simpson was able to have this like dream team defense group of attorneys. Uh, the very best of the best that he could afford to pay for. And that's how it works. And, but with God, it's fair and it's equitable. And you'll never be disadvantaged. Nobody will get up on you. And, and nobody else will, you, you won't be down below others. God is, does, shows no favoritism in that way. And um, God will judge you for practicing that. God will judge us when we are uh, unfair and unjust in what we do. Well, God's judgment next is based on living according to the knowledge you have. Living uh, according to the knowledge that you have. He talks through this, this part of uh, Romans about 
the Gen Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. There are two groups. And uh, the Jews have the law. And they felt really quite smug and superior because they were, go excuse me, they were God's people. They had the law. They were above Gentiles. They were better than Gentiles. They knew what God's law said and all of that. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were somewhat disfavored, according to the Jews. Uh, they didn't have the law of God. And they didn't have that direction in how they should live their life. And God, though, will judge each of them according to what they know. Um, in Romans uh, 2... Uh, it says this, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey. And so if, if you were a Jewish person and you've got the law and you felt smug because of that and you felt like uh, you, were, you were okay because you, you had the right pedigree, you had the law, he says, that's not right. It's, it's, it's about doing what you have been told. On the other hand, we have the Gentiles. They didn't have the law of God. So how, how can God judge them? Well, God gave them something. He gave them kind of the law written inside. And that was the conscience that he gave them. And, and he says, um, their requirements were written on their heart. Their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing or even defending them. And so God gave uh, this uh, wonderful opportunity for Gentiles to be led by their conscience. <laughs> the problem is we defile our conscience. We fight our conscience. We do things that we know are wrong. We know they're wrong, but we do them anyway. And so we are judged according to that. So I want you to know that God's judgment is based on living according to the knowledge that you have. Listen, listen to this, because this is, this is kind of a bit fearful. Remember I, asked, I said that the woman who asked the question of me, is there differences of, uh, of punishment in hell? And I said, I believe there is. Listen to what this says in Matthew 11, verses 20 to 24. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which he, most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it'll be more bearable for Sodom in the day of judgment than you. Can I say something? Can I say something that is absolutely frightening? That we are responsible for the truth that God has given to us. And there's some of us who've grown up in Sunday school and we've been taken to church from the first week or two of our life. And, and, and we've been taught in Sunday school and we've grown up and we've heard a bazillion sermons and, and God has, has been reaching out to us. And, and you say, no, 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 no. What a, 
What a frightful thing because you're going to be judged on what God has given you. And there's some, some places, uh, Sodom and Tyre, and, and, and it's going to be much more tolerable for them in the afterlife than for people who have been so blessed to have the, the influence of a Christian family, of Christ, a Christian church, of all the resources that you could want, that God is saying, come to me, I open my arms to you, and they don't. To, much, to whom much is given, much is required. And some are incredibly blessed, and there comes with that an accountability. And I want to urge you, don't despise the grace of God that is, he's showing to you. He, you. You may sit in this church week after week after week and never respond, and God will hold you accountable for that. Don't despise the grace of God extended to you. Well, uh, next, God's judgment exposes motives. Exposes motives. You know the thing? I, I can... I can sh- put on for you a front that I am the most genuine, spiritual, godly, nice person going. And inside there may be all kinds of garbage going around. And you never see that. You don't see what's between, below the waterline of, 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 of a person's life. But um, God does. God does. In fact, in Romans 2.16, he says this. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Uh, there, there are things probably in all of our lives that we would just be ashamed of if, if it were put up on a screen or you knew or we knew about each other, certain things that maybe we've done in our life that we're embarrassed about. We, we've hidden a lot of those things. And, and full, disclo- full disclosure, you can't hide anything from God. God lays you bare. He, he knows every thought you've ever had, every action, every deed, every motive. He sees if you're, if you're doing something, if you're, uh, you look to be so good on the outside, but the reason and the motive behind it all is, is just corrupt. You're doing it for personal gain. You're doing it for uh, sa- personal satisfaction. You're, you're doing it to, to be a somebody. And that's, again, back to the religious leaders. They were caught up in that. And, and, and he said, on the outside, you're clean, but in the inside, you're whitewashed tombs. And, and there's no place we can hide all our garbage and our anger and our hatred and our pride and our immorality we try and mask it so that people won't see it. But God knows what's going on inside. And we have to remember that as we come before him. That he, we can't play games. You know, you think, do you remember when you were a little kid and you'd play hide and seek and you'd cover your eyes and you didn't think they could see you because you covered your eyes? It's that kind of nonsense that we play with where, uh, where God... Um, we, we think he can't see what's going on in our head, what we're thinking. He knows everything. You can't fool him. The secret things that are concealed, he exposes them. Wow. Hebrews 10 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, 
after we've received the knowledge of the truth. There's no sacrifice left for sins, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging that will consume the enemies of God. You may listen to this and you may think, man, God is, he's like tough. He's just uh, uncompromising. I, I don't even feel like I can, I can get near him. Uh, and, and all of this, this judgment that we're talking about is just so hard. You need to hear the heart of God. You need to hear the compassion of God. Listen to what Ezekiel 18.23 says. Do I, this is God speaking, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Man, he says, you, you've got me all wrong. If you think I'm here and I get some pl pleasure out of squishing you like a bug, that's not it. Don't you know that I get no pleasure of that? I'm rather, I'm, I'm pleased when you turn from your wicked ways and live. I want to bless you. L look at in, in Exodus 20. This is, uh, this is in the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, you shall not bow down or worship idols, he goes. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I punish the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Oh, the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. I'll judge them. No, but listen. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, I got to deal with, I got to deal with the stuff God says. I, I've got to deal with sin. I, I've got I've to judge that. But you don't get it. Third or fourth generation. No, a thousand generations. My love and my care and concern for you. Moses is talking to God, and he says, show me your glory. God said, okay, I will do, I'll do it. But you, 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 you can't see my face, because nobody can see me and live. And I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to put my hand over that, and, and I'm going to pass by. And after I pass by, I'm going to pull my hand away and leave some of that trailing glory well, what did he want us to know about him in the Old Testament? You know, the Old Testament, God is mean and judgmental and all the rest of that. Now, he, he, here's what he wanted to know in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the... Uh, to, uh, to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children to the third and fourth generation. Ah, oh, but the thousand generation. That's God. That's God. And, and, and if you haven't opened your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9. He said, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. They were saying, hey, where's the coming of the Lord? You guys talk about the Lord coming. Hey, we've gone, we've gone years, and that's not happened. He says, look it. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God. That's the God who judged, the, the God to, to whom to be in his presence would cause us to be fearful and to fall on our face and, and look away. As we sang this morning uh, of the glory of God from Isaiah chapter 6, woe is me in the presence of God. And yet he says, look, I love you and I'm trying to make a way to bring you to myself. I have to judge because I'm holy. But that's not what I want to do. I want to reach out to you. Hebrews 9.27 is destined to die once and after that, the judgment. And God has this airtight case against us. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that's not what God wants for us. Listen, I... I saw one of these, you know, these court TV things once, and I was actually really intrigued by it because there was this guy, probably 30s, early 30s, and he, I, I can't remember what he had done, but he was charged, he was guilty, and he goes before the, the judge. And, and the judge, some of those judges are just looking to pin you to the wall, but this guy saw something in this man, and... and in fact, the man had his mother with him there. She was sitting in the gallery as well. And, and he saw that there was something redeemable about this guy. And he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to wipe out your record. I, I'm, I'm going to acquit you. You'll be free. And you know the, the penalty that you have to pay in terms of uh, the fine? I'm going to eradicate that. And it, it was such a beautiful thing because here's a guy who just got in the wrong place with the wrong people, but, but the, he saw something redeemable in him. And he reached out to him and he said, I, I believe in you. And, and the guy went out a free man. And I think genuinely, here we are standing before God here we are, the, the books are open, and here, here's our life laid bare in front of us and in front of whomever else. And God says, I, my, my goal is not to, to, to harm you. I want to save you. I see something redeemable in you that I can take you and do something amazing and wonderful and beautiful in your life. My prayer is for you. That, that, I, that you would understand that this God is awesome and as great as he is and, and, and how he has to judge because he is holy and, and his standard he, he can't uh, forego. But he sees us and he sees not what we are and the mess we're in, but he sees us and he reaches out and he said, I can redeem you. I can, I can make something of you I'm willing to forgive you. In fact, I'm going to take your punishment and, and I'm going to die on a cross for you and I'm going to make a way for you to be redeemed back from your old life and bring you into my family. Hey, if you made that decision, I hope you have. I, I hope that, that uh, God would so move upon your heart if you haven't. I would urge you 
You can stand before God as your judge, or you can stand before him as he welcomes you into his family and into his heavenly abode. And I want you to know that if there's any way we can help you, if you have questions, we would be absolutely delighted uh, to, to help you and encourage you on this walk of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Though he's our judge, yet he's our savior. And to all who have uh, his, all of us who acknowledge our sin and our waywardness, that you will rescue us. You'll save us. You'll forgive us. You'll acquit us of all of our sins and all of the charges against us. And you will make us clean in your presence. You'll bring us into your family and we will have life eternal with you. Oh, Father, I pray for some of those people who, who are, uh, have gone to church for years and haven't gotten it together. Oh, Lord, would you move upon their heart for them to turn to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.